This is Guitar Talk. To me, it just seems like there are endless possibilities. One of the things I like to find out, you know, how people got influenced in the play and the guitar, because stories are so unique. The trick is not to feel pressured to conform. If you know anything about Joel, he's been around the block. He's probably one of the most sought-after guitar players. How would you create that song? How would you turn that song into your song? There's not a guitar player on this planet that I personally don't follow closer. It's it's not something that you see too often. I only know a few players that do it. Now, from the home of the blues, Chicago, Illinois, welcome to Guitar Talk with your host, Jimmy Warren. All right, welcome to Guitar Talk, everybody. This is Jimmy Warren. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's uh, great to be here tonight. You know, I haven't done a very good job of hosting this thing this month. I got to tell you, you know why? Because I have failed to announce that this is International Guitar Month. That's right. April is International Guitar Month. And, uh, you know, we've had some really amazing players so far this month. As a matter of fact, just last Wednesday, we had Marty Friedman. And Marty Friedman was celebrating his third release of Tokyo Jukebox 3. That's right. He had a trilogy of doing his favorite uh, traditional Japanese songs in his interpretation of them, which was really cool. You know, and he's a great technical player, and you love to talk guitar with a guy like that. And so we're going to continue the celebration of International Guitar Month. Uh, tonight with our guest Larry Mitchell. Now, Larry Mitchell is a Grammy-winning, you know, artist, guitarist, and producer. Uh, he's worked with Rick Ocasek from The Cars. He was a guitarist for Billy Squire. I mean, he's been around the block. This is a guy that knows guitar, and so we had an amazing conversation. But before we jump into that conversation, I want to make sure that you run on over to guitartalkofficial.com. Make sure that you go there and subscribe to our newsletter. That way you're getting all the information that's for everything that's going on here at Guitar Talk because there is so much happening. I mean, you're really uh <laughs> you're really not going to want to miss, you know, a lot of the things that are going on. So with that said, and that's enough that needs to be said, we're going to continue our celebration of International Guitar Month with the one and only Larry Mitchell right here on Guitar Talk with me, Jimmy Warren. Are you there? Yep. Hey Larry, how are you, sir? I'm good except that for you. Oh, there we go. <laughs> It was upside down for or sideways for a second. Cool. All right. Man, thank you for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. Sure. You thank know, you for- I've been a, a, a follower and a fan of your playing for a long time. But you know what? Uh, one of the good things that's come out of this downtime over the last year is that I come across people like yourself, you know, doing these live performances on Facebook. Mm-hmm. As a result of it, it, it kind of makes you turn around and pay attention to somebody that maybe you weren't paying attention to before, because now they're in your your space a lot more, you know, than they were before. So, uh, how's the success been from from doing the Facebook Live thing since this whole pandemic hit? Uh, it's been really good. You know, what's interesting is I did it. Uh, this is my fourth year almost. Really. Uh, I- for three years before on Tuesday nights before uh, before the COVID uh, pandemic started, 
And uh, I started doing doing uh, Tuesday Night Live about three years ago as an answer to someone asking me to do a gig on a Tuesday night, but they didn't want to pay. Like, it was, <laughs> it was crazy. I was like, I, 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 you know, and it was cold. And I was like, you know, I'll stay home. I'm just going to stay home. I could, I could uh, actually, and, you know, on a Tuesday night, most people back before we knew about it could go out, uh, before everybody could go out, um, or before everybody couldn't go out, um, it was hard to get people out on a Tuesday night. So you're playing in a, in, in a, a, a club or something like that. There might be 20 people in the place, you know, it could be. And uh, unless you're in a college town or something like that and the school's in. And um, so I said, you know, I could reach more people on like Facebook or something like that. So I went live on a Facebook thing and, uh, and it was cool. And it's slowly built and built. I tried different audio things and video things and, um, and people kept coming and I, I had to finally nail, nail down a, an actual time. Once I started doing it consistently, um, there were lots of people that would come back, back, yeah. you know, week after week. And now uh, I'm still amazed that um, week after week, there's a lot of the same people that come back. I'm just blown away. And I try to, I, you know, I have, I've been doing records since 1990, but um, I don't have all the, uh, the sessions and tracks and stuff like that. So basically what I started doing for guitar clinics and for Tuesday Night Lives and house concerts is uh, redoing a lot of my tracks and trying to get them all on the same playing field. So uh, anything that was live drums is now programmed drums, converted. Um, anything that was live bass is converted to MIDI bass. So that I'm using the same bass, the same bass sound and same drum set sounds. So I don't have the drummer changing every you know, a drum kit every every uh, every other song or something like that, so that it's all consistent, and um, so it's gotten to a nice little thing. And uh, the the volume levels don't really jump, um, and uh, it's cool. I've gotten a lot of people asking me like, well, when when we start going back to playing clubs they, or playing shows, uh, they would like me to do something. So it's helped that way. It's definitely helped, yeah. and I've definitely new fans yeah so. would you continue to do the live facebook after things open up and you go back to playing uh, you know i i did it for three years yeah. um before so i will continue i've done it um i've gotten a, it's gotten a lot more elaborate lately but um i used to just do it with my phone and one interface and a facebook app and i could never do facebook and youtube at the same time um and I, but because of that, I've done it in airports at the gate. I've done it at airports at the baggage claim. I've done it in friends' backyards. I've did it. I've done it in hotel rooms in Europe, and um, I've done it in some funky spots. I almost was successful in doing it on a plane once because oh, wow. it was a big delay. And I was like, I talked them into let me do it, but then we start setting up and uh, trying to trying to work around electricity and everything I needed to do. And then they were like, "Oh, we got the clearance, and we're gonna we're gonna take off now." So it's like, uh, we had the board plan, and it was it was uh, it was interesting. Yeah. So, so how what is the transition like from being a live player, you know, playing in a live <laughs> setting with other people, to going to the you know to the place of programming your own music and uh, you know and just playing it completely on your own like that? Because that's like that's two different worlds. Um. It wasn't as hard because uh, I've been, like I said, I've been doing it for a while and I, I've been doing guitar clinics forever. 
Yeah. And so a lot of times you have to do cl- guitar clinics without a band. Yeah. So I, I just, like I said, I, I've run into situations at, at clinics, at stores and stuff where the sound guys are like complaining about people coming with tracks that are like five years old, 10 years old, and some tracks that are new and all the levels are different. Everything sounds different. So when I started making um, uh, reprogramming stuff, they're like, hey, this is work. This works. This sounds good. And I was like, thank you. So they, I took my cue from a lot of the sound guys that were doing stuff. As far as playing solo in, in the room, it's when you first do it, it's uh, eye-opening because there is no applause. There is yeah. no nothing. And as a musician, you feed off of that energy coming back. Yeah. And it's something, you know, just a couple, even if, even if people are standing there like, you know, there's one person that's like, oh yeah, this is cool. And you, you hone in on that one person, you get that energy from that one person. There's none of that this way. So I'm trying to work on ways to, to, to bring a little bit of that. So we'll see. Yeah. I, I think, I think it takes a special person to be able to do that. I mean, a funny story. I was talking with uh, Lee Rittenauer and I was asking Lee, I was saying, Hey, why don't you do something like this? Because I know there's a lot of people that would probably really love to see it. Yeah. And he was like, I, there's no way possible because of that, what you're talking about that feeding off of other people. He says, I can't sit in front of a computer and do that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm sure it's got to be weird, but you know what? You're, you're really good at programming music. And, oh, the thing, and the thing that I love about it is the way that you uh, go uh, stack sounds, you know, and, and utilize space. You're really good at utilizing space. In other words, you know, you can make a note just kind of flutter and be really, really cool with another note, you know, coming into it and doing the same thing. You're really good at that. Is that something that's come natural or is that something you've had to work on over the years? Um, well, I'm always working on my on my playing cycle, always working. And um, it's just the stylist just developed. Uh Sometimes you, you know, I, I, I tend to overplay when I'm, when I'm uh, either nervous or not focused. And when I'm focused, I tend to play less because um, sometimes you can say more by, by playing less and, and uh, the breathing, let, letting the music breathe a little bit, letting the playing breathe. So I have to remember that when I start the shows, sometimes like the first couple of songs, I'm just ripping away. And then when I finally like, all right, all right. So the cameras are working. Internet's working. We're com- I can see comments. Comments. I can do all this stuff. Oh yeah, let me let me like zone in on playing, and then I notice that I play less. Right, yeah. you know, with more intent. Intention right. is, is key. Yeah, I I, I think it's a it, it's a beautiful skill to have as a player because you know there's not I don't think there's a lot of people that really have that ability. I mean, there's a lot of great players that can play at all different levels, but to be able to just be really subtle and selective and where it seems like it's kind of a, you know, a, a breathing motion more so than anything else. It's really cool, man. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, it's really cool. So uh, the thing that I find fascinating is, is that you write and pretty much do everything to all of your songs. Um, I know you released a project, in November called uh, Shadows of On the Soul. I, I did uh, two, actually, Shadows on the Soul, which is on electric EP, yeah. and then Light Within, which is an acoustic EP. Right. And yeah. you, you pretty much did everything on both of those EPs. Um, 
on one song on Shadows in a Soul, I think it's Tunnel, has uh, my friend Leah, uh, Leah Rizzo playing some piano, some keyboards. Um, and then on one song on um, on uh, on the uh, light within has Don Avery playing cello on it. Yeah, um, yeah I, I you know I produce other artists, a lot of singer songwriters and and different types of music, and um, so I'm usually the band. I play whatever they don't play unless it's something that's really out of my scope. So I do lots of keyboard stuff. I'm not a piano player. If yeah. I need like real piano playing, I will hire a piano player. But for basic pads and, and, and chords, simple chord stuff, I, I do that all the time. Yeah. Um, and then I can't play cello. I can program cello, but sometimes you want a, like a solo, like a, a cello that, you know, or I layer cellos, uh, a real cellist on top of some program cello. And it works out well. Right. Now, are, do you program the drums or do you play the drums or do you do both? Uh, well, lately I've been programming. I do play. Uh, I'm good at editing, too. <laughs> so I can play stuff that uh, I can play. It's like, all right, that was eight bars. That was cool. All right. I'm going to edit that and go into the next section. Um, I do understand what, what has to happen on drums. Again, if it's something insane, I'm going to hire a, a, a drummer. But uh but most stuff I can uh, play or I can definitely program. I can program some insane stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, because there's a, there's a lot of stuff, you know, a lot, once again, a lot of your music has a lot of space to it. So, you know, I could see where you, you know, you don't have to be Neil Peart, you know, in order, in order to do it, which is really cool. And that now your sound, I, I love your sound. I, I definitely love the, the stuff that's real deep, that's got a lot of delay, a little bit of chorus on it, you know what I mean? That spacey kind of thing. Now, I know you use a fractal. Is that the only thing you use? Uh, no. Um, I mean, live, I use a fractal FM3 uh, on uh, three electric shows. And on Sunday nights, I do an acoustics uh, Facebook Live and YouTube Live. And I use an XFX3, the rack mount. And just simply because... One is on one side of the studio, one is on the other side of the studio. That's the only reason I do it. I have the the, the rack mount unit here for recording, so I just instead of bringing one over here, I just might as well use that for the acoustic shows. Um, for the live thing, I also have uh, Eventide H9. That's a multi-effect unit, and it's just to help some offset some of the CPU and and um, it's just like having an extra block inside the the FM3. Um, for recording, I use everything. I have uh, I have a, 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 a early Marshall Plexi head here. I have a '60s Tremlox Fender Tremlox. I have a DV Mark amp. I have a bunch of little old small combos. I have a Supro. Uh, I use a bunch of pedals. I use whatever um, whatever works for the song at the moment, you know, <laughs> for recording. Right. So, but when you tour, uh, I'm under the impression you just use the fractal. I use the fractal and the 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 even tied H nine even tied right. They, and so they you fit in a briefcase. They fit in a laptop briefcase. So. Yeah. And now, what made you go to that? I mean, what turned you on? You know, to to going down that road as opposed to using the Marshall Plexi and you know a bunch of pedals. Uh, well, most of my gigs since um, since two thousand three have been fly gigs. Yeah, uh, I lived in Mexico for 10 years and I was playing with a, um, quite a few Native American artists. And most of the shows we did were fly gigs. And you're not I'm not 
carrying a Marshall head. There's right. no safe way to do that on a plane and stuff. Um, I was carrying for a while. I was carrying two huge pedal boards and you'd have on a rider, two small two fender tube amps and you get there and there's like a cyber twin and a MOSFET Marshall. <laughs> you go, all right, neither one of these are quite tubes, but uh, yeah. you know, you have to have the right delete. So I was carrying, I'd have two overdrive pedals on the pedal board and carry two extra distortion pedals to replace. Cause if you have the wrong kind of amp, the overdrive pedals don't work. Right. You know, you have, you have to use the, the uh, distortion pedals. And then um, I discovered through uh, a friend of mine, the fractal unit, this was in 2007 or 2008. And I said, I'll give it a shot. At least it would cut down. Um, I didn't know what the modeling was going to be like. I didn't know, what the uh, distortion is going to be like, but I figured that I could carry a rack mount unit and four overdrive pedals just in case. Yeah. And then I got it and was pleasantly surprised. And every, every year things just get better and better and sounds amazing. And I switched from that to the XFX2 rack mount and then the uh, AX8, which was like a, a godsend that I could put that in. That was the first thing I could put in a laptop briefcase and, and walk on a plane with it and one guitar and check another guitar. Yeah. So yeah. convenience uh it's consistency it's great it sounds great they absolutely sound great um and at, at big shows i plug straight into the pa and i get it the, the sound coming back through monitors and it sounds great i've i've gone through many times where people are like oh you're going to use that you know do you, you want to use our amp and we, i'm like no i'm going to use it use my rig and then when uh when they hear it they go oh that sounds good <laughs> it was always it was always amazing they'd be surprised and then after a while it, it turned to like sound guys were like oh yeah that's that's great those things are really good they like those instead of some guy coming on and turning up a 100 watt amp a little loud and they have no control of the the mix yeah they so, got 100 percent control they like that yes you know they do they like that that's for sure mm -hmm. well there's there's so many bands and so many players that are going to using straight uh, you know, equipment like the Kemper and the Fractal and yep. things of that because of the simplicity. I mean, people I would have never thought, bands I would never have thought in a million years are using them. And, uh, you know, there's got to be some too. Your sound is, I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. It really is. It's really you. good. You can hear every every little nuance. That's the thing that the clarity in it is really cool. Yeah, I, I'm all about the clarity. Um yeah. I'm not far from Nashville and I know that many tours go out of Nashville and they're not using real amps on stage. A lot of people using the campers or the fractal or line six and stuff like that. And a lot of the, the it seems like the bigger the artists, the bigger the tours, they don't want amps on stage. They're all using in ear. They don't want the, want the volume on stage anymore. So that's because they're getting older, right? They can't yeah. Well. <laughs> I'm getting older too because um, this head, I remember, um, uh, Marshall head, I remember in the 80s playing and going, I need to turn up just a little bit and turning back and going, seeing a knob on seven. Yeah. On 100 Marshall and go, <laughs> oh, I'll probably leave it alone. Or it'll, you know, I don't want to fry the amp. And now I can't imagine it past two. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just insane. But um, I don't know many places you can actually play that loud anymore you can, and get away with it. So. Yeah. You know, I've gone to using, I like the, uh, the lower wattage amps. You know, I've really gotten into, you know, like uh, Mesa Boogie Fillmore is a 20 mm -hmm. watt amp and the new Marshall Plexi, the SLV, I think it is, or SVL or whatever, it's 20, 25 mm -hmm. watts. Those are yeah. great amps. 
You know, yep. you can use them in a club, use them in a studio. You can even use them for bigger gigs, you know? Oh yeah. Um, so in the, in the late eighties, um, I used a, well in the mid eighties, I used a bunch of different amps like Fender twins and, uh, um, uh, I can't even remember. Oh, oh, music man amps. I had a couple of music mans and then I got into rack stuff. Then I got my first big tour and then I had a big Bradshaw rig. And for a while in Manhattan, I would do the same rig I would use with Billy Squire or Rick Kasich or any big stage I used at small clubs like the Bitter and Kenny's Castaways. And that was two to six to nine, four, 12 cabinets. Oh my God. 16 spray shock mod rack. And then another 10 space with power amps if I had all nine cabinets. Yeah. And then um, in the mid nineties, I switched to a pedal board and two Fender Pro Juniors, which are 15 watt EL84 two, uh, tube amps. And those were great. And I remember playing in, when I lived in San Diego, playing places, they were like, can you turn the guitar down? I'm like, they're 15 watt amps. I go, yeah, but it's still cranking. <laughs> and I had two because they were stereo doing stuff. But um, yeah, the small amps are great. And you know, for recording, if you have if you have any couple um, cool ribbon mics, try a ribbon mic small amp sounds huge. Yeah, for my for my experience in the studio for recording, yeah, that's a good sound. Are you familiar with the new Quilter amps by chance? Yeah, yeah, those are, I looked at those too. Yeah, very yeah. nice. I tell you what, they they almost sound you know uh, tube. I mean, you can dial them in to where they really sound nice. And uh, I bought one just to has, have as a backup in case anything went, because it's just a, you know, it yep. weighs, what, three pounds and a little tiny bag and that. I was really surprised, you know, at yep. the, the sound out of those things. 200 watts, too. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. So, so it's what great. Was, you have one power. Mm -hmm. So what was the learning curve on the fractal? If you're a guy that's, you know, using pedals now and, you know, you're kicking it around, and you're not, you know, really a programmer. I mean, what's the learning curve, you think? Um, it's probably a lot better than when I first started on it because uh, everything's been geared towards just being able to to drop an amp in a cabinet and, and a reverb and a delay and having, you know, a good sound and knobs are pretty pretty close to one-to-one. -one. So if you... Um, I've helped quite a few people set up their rigs. And the one thing that um, I always have to go back and ask them um, is it, to recreate the rig that they use first so that you learn how the, the, the machine works. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I had uh, spent a time on the phone and messages with people and actually went to a couple of people's houses um, and they go, I can't get it to sound right. And I go, so we're trying, they got like, all these like uh, modern metal amps and uh, odd cabinet configuration and their things are all in a weird spot as far as the signal path. And they go, wait, so is this what you normally do? Oh, no, no, I play through like a Fender Twin and, and some <laughs> boss pedals. Then you probably shouldn't set up your rig. So why did you pick an angle or, or like what in a, you know, or if they're a Marshall guy, why did you pick these boogies? Yeah. Cause boogies, very different, as you know, with all the knobs, just the knobs react differently. Yeah. And then, a, or, or if you're a boogie player, then why do you, you know, why did you pick a mark? Pick the rig that you normally would use first. So you pick an amp that you know how to use that amp. Right. Um, and then put the effects the way you've been using it, get it to sound the way, way it should sound. And then you can 
create another preset and experiment. Yeah. You can use somebody, you can ask people what they use and how they do it. You can download other patches and go, why is this over here? Like I run delays and reverbs in parallel. And that's what I did in the 80s when I had my rack, in the late 80s, early 90s, when I had my rack rig. Yeah. And uh, so in my fractal, I have several presets that are set up like a pedal board going in, everything going into the front of an amp, into a clean amp. So the, the pedals are, the uh, virtual pedals are giving me the overdrive and all the effects. And then I also have stuff set up like I did in the 80s. And then I have a, a combination of stuff, like pedals before the amp and stuff afterwards. Right. Um, and as far as like not knowing the rig, there was a, um, I'm not even going to mention the name of it, but there's a German amp in, um, in the fractal that I never got along with. I just didn't understand. It. And I know it was for like really like heavy metal chugging kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, all right, so I wrote it off. Like there's 200 and something amps in the, in the fractal. You don't need to like to, to be able to control every one of them. And I, I have the amps that I like to use. I have five or so that I always use and then another five or so that are like, oh, these are cool for recording. And uh, I was in Germany once. Someone paid me to compare a guitar to uh, that they made to a real 1960 Les Paul, vintage Les Paul, and on video. Yeah. So we're going to shoot video at this nice studio and they took all the amps out except this one German company amp because they, you know, work with that company. It's in Germany. We're in Germany. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, not this amp. And uh, <laughs> so we plugged in, I guess, you know, basic sound. And we shoot the video. I was like, okay, it was cool. It worked. Right? Still not my favorite amp. And the owner of the studio's son, who was like a young kid, uh, plays drums. And he goes, will you, will you jam with me? I'm like, sure. I'm not going to, you know, how do you turn them down? We had fun. So I right. walk in the room. They still hadn't put the amps in. I plug into that amp and go, there's gotta be a way to get this amp to sound right. So I plug into channel one, I try to get the knobs the way I would think that they should work. Doesn't sound good. Channel two, uh, channel three, I'm like, oh wow, this sounds good. Channel four, I'm like, whoa. And I hadn't touched the knobs. They were set up, not anything like I would. So I was like, so I jammed. And uh, later on, I'm at a hotel room, I get headphones on. I, I wrote down what the cabinet was and, and the settings were, I took a picture of it. I plug the headphones in, plug the guitar in, headphones on, dial up the, the, the amp the way it was in the studio. I go, oh, wow, that works. I never would have tried the knob settings the way it worked. Yeah. Because it just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. It's the same thing like if you're, a, if you're a, a Marshall player and you plug into one of the boogies with lots of knobs in the, in the, in the EQ, you, wouldn't, you would have no idea what to do with those. Yeah. You know? So that's why I say stick with an amp that you know first. And then experiment. It's just like when you buy a new amp, you're like, all right, why does this, what do these buttons do? <laughs> <laughs> right. How come it doesn't sound like it does on the video when the other guy's playing it? Yeah. yeah. So, mm -hmm. so let's talk about your guitar. Um, you know, you're using nags, correct? I am. I've been using nags for about six years now. Absolutely beautiful. Why don't you tell us, tell me a little bit about it. Now you got three single coils. Is that your preferred setup? I mean, you know, I, I had uh, before that I was always a either a single, single hum or hum, single hum. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I I was with Ibanez Guitars for 26 years. Right. And when uh, when things changed there and I, I decided to just play whatever I wanted to play at the time, you know, I have some other type guitars, too, as well. Um, 
I like Guitar Factory. So I was in Maryland. I go to Maryland usually every year. And uh, I wanted to visit a couple of their two guitar, major guitar factories there. And um, a friend of mine called, uh, he plays bags, his name is Steve Stevens. He's a, has a model guitar and he's one, one of my favorite guitar players as well. And um, Steve called and Nag said, yeah, come on down. Well, you know, you can check out the factory. And when I played every guitar that was made, that was, that was together, um, there was a stain thing that was going on and the guitars are great. Um, and that has this plate, which is, uh, is built around like a telly, yeah. which you built around oil. Yeah. And uh, later on when we decided that uh, Joe was going to make a guitar for me, he goes, do you want to put a humbucker there? I said, you know, let me try some of the guitars that have a humbucker here. And there was something that was missing that this plate does for me. So yeah. I said, no, let's keep it a single coil and I'll figure out what to do. And then I started speaking with Steve Blucher at the Mazio, and he suggested this pickup, which is a squeezed humbucker. Yeah. And, uh, and these are also Area 67s, which is like a vintage sound, but they, they cancel the hum. Right. So this pickup set actually has turned out to be surprising for lots of people yeah. and uh, wonderful for me. And now, that's, is, you know, these are my your, Isn't your bridge pickup actually a neck pickup? It's a neck pickup. It's a Satriani yeah. neck yeah. pickup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I have the three single coils and I love it. Um, and, I, and, you know, I hadn't done a maple fretboard really other than I have some tellies that I use for recording. Mm -hmm. But for me, for doing my stuff, I had my first guitar I ever got from Ibanez was a maple fretboard. And then after that, everything was Rosewood or Ebony. And, I, and this is the first time going back to that. And I actually do love that. Yeah. Uh, so just, just a maple fretboard. It's not roasted. Um, it's just toned to match the, the pickguard. Yeah. It's beautiful, uh, though. It's thank beautiful. you. And it's got uh, the neck joint. Is uh, They're all set necks. Oh, that's nice. And it's Joe's, it's Joe's take on uh, kind of a 63 or 64 Strat. I can't remember if it's a 63 or 64 Strat. Yeah. Uh, except it has, uh, it's more of a modern version. It's got locking, locking tuners. Uh, the tremolo works great. I use it all the time. You see, if you see me on the show, yeah. uh, you barely will see me tune. I tune right before, and and I use the tremolo bar, and it's working. Yeah. Um, and the other thing about this guitar, it has the treble bleed uh, that was oh. after that was put on put in afterwards. Yeah. Now I, let me ask you about that plate around the the bridge pickup. Is that brass? This mine is brass. Um, they normally use steel plates and they're and they're some of them coated and uh, steel wrapped around a humbucker sometimes is a little funky yeah. as in you get this weird oscillating thing. Uh, so we tried brass and brass doesn't do it. So yeah. I stuck with it. And yeah. I think they have some now that you can use that, uh, that won't hum as well, but I stuck with the brass. Yeah. That's a beautiful guitar. Absolutely. Thank gorgeous. You. I bet it plays really nice. It does. I, uh, I'm very, very grateful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was on your website and I noticed you had several of them, uh, on there, but this is like the newest, uh, signature for you. Correct. It's called the Severn. Is that right? This is the seven. This is my model. It's yeah. a Severn LN. So it has, uh, if you can see the, uh, what some people think is a fish or a boat or a plane. <laughs> okay. I can't, I can't really do it. Uh, maybe I could do this. Can you see it now? Uh-huh. Looks that's like a me. bird. It's my logo. Oh, that's my logo. you. So, wow. 
Yeah. I don't have enough light in. Well, I thought it was a bird. Yep. <laughs> That's really cool. So it's it's my model. I have a I have a green one and the original brown one that, that first came. Yeah. Um, and there are some beautiful ones. Nags makes Joe Nags. Uh, are you familiar with Joe Nags? I am not. Not at all. No. He's he was at PRS Guitars for many many years. Uh, I think since the second year or the first year. Um, and he him uh, he created the private stock program at PRS. Oh. And now the NAG shop is the original pri first private stock program. The whole program is the whole NAG's department. Wow. They make playable, very playable, um, high tone works of art. Yeah. They make ours. Yeah. Well, they're absolutely gorgeous. You know, it's a, I mean, from what you can tell on video and on the internet, I could only imagine you know, what they, what they look like in person, you know, or play like. Yeah. Yeah. That's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. Yeah. So what's on uh, the agenda for Larry Mitchell, you know, going forward? I mean, do you have plans? Are you planning to tour? Are you still in limbo? Are you working on another EP? <laughs> I mean, what's going on? Um, you know, everything's in the open until, until things uh, until things open up completely. Yeah. Um, the only shows that I know of that are still possible are uh, actually, that's only one. Well, actually, there's two festivals that were canceled from last year. But uh, one is the Dallas Guitar Festival at the end of April, beginning of, Mar of May, right. if it happens, if they, if they don't move it. Again, it got moved several times last year. Right. Uh, and there's a festival in Indiana that I've done many times before um, in St. Minard. Uh, Minard, yeah. It's, uh, I don't even know where. I fly into Louisville and it's about three hours, Louisville, Kentucky, it's about three hours from there. I couldn't even tell you exactly where it is. It's a small town. It's uh, one of two, the one of the two only arch abbeys in the country. That'd be darn. Yeah, it, it's beautiful. It's a bit of 200 and something acres of beauty and they have a, an event there um a rock concert if you might <laughs> every year yeah it's cool mm -hmm. yeah so so those are, are you gonna record are you recording any more music for this year i am i'm trying to decide if i'm gonna release uh i released the last two eps on Bandcamp. the uh my first record came out in 1990 so 31 years ago yeah. and um there most of those records you can find on spotify and amazon and pandora um but i decided last year in november when i released uh shadows in the soul and the light within to release it on Bandcamp. i have an artist that i produce a singer songwriter named songwriter named katie martin and she had been telling me about Bandcamp and her success on releasing her stuff on there so i released them in there and i, I actually really dug it and um so i might release something uh, what is today? Today's Wednesday. I might release something on Thursday. Not some super <laughs> new. I'm on Friday. Uh, what they've been doing to help out musicians and artists that have music on Bandcamp is the first Friday, uh, all the money goes to the artist. Yeah. So I might go back and re-release some of the uh, past records, um, alternate versions of them uh, on Friday. I might release a record on Friday or, or, or two. I can back catalog and stuff like that. Cause there's people that have, that are not familiar 
like I said, the, the Tuesday nights and Sunday nights have been um, have been wonderful for introducing you know me to new people, and um, I would like to to give them the opportunity to to, uh, to listen to music or or purchase the music on on a different platform. Yeah. And the bank Bandcamp was great for me, so I, I'm probably going to release something. Um, I'm not sure, like if I release one of the past records, how different it would be. There's some of them I have alternate versions. Uh, there's a whole record I forgot to release. Yeah, that I get ripped about <laughs> a lot. I uh, I released before the last two records. There was a record called Deja Vu, which is um, old songs from different records that are not in print anymore, right. and. I had recorded maybe 15 songs for that, but I decided to put out seven. And then later on, I said, all right, I'll release the other songs on Deja Vu 2, but I never did. I yeah. just completely forgot about it. So on, and I put those are songs I play on Tuesday nights and I played a song and, and someone asked me, what record is that on? And I said, it's on Deja Vu. And then there's a chorus of people going, no, it's not. No, in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> I go, sure it is. They go, no, it's not. And then I realized it's it's on Deja Vu 2, which I never released, which I completely forgot to release. So. Yeah, so when, when I was, when I was uh, you know doing some some searching around about you, I, I noticed that these these two new albums EPs weren't on uh, Spotify and and all that other stuff, and that and uh, I found them on Bank Bankcap where I found them too. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but the fact that you you know that you wrote them, you arranged them, you produced them, you did all the music on them, and you did it in this place called the Chocolate Room. What That's the heck, where. What the heck is the Chocolate Room? It's my home studio. Oh, okay. Uh, it's uh, it's I like chocolate, and there's a lot of brown, a lot of wood in here. Okay. And um, and then on Sunday nights, which is all acoustic and very mellow, very different than the Tuesday nights it's turned into uh, get your hot It's turned into just a mellow thing. I do it sitting down. I do it from this position too. In the studio. Is there enough light on me? Should I, should I add more light? Yeah, yeah no, you're, you're almost dark now. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know why I changed. Oh, there, there we go. go. Yeah. It's just your okay. screen probably timing out. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's turned into a mellow, grab your hot chocolate, get some popcorn, get some chocolate. And uh, and just hang out, and I play some you know acoustic songs and chat and stuff. So it's become it's it's become a, a thing, and it goes well with the chocolate room. Yeah, well, you know, once again, the whole concept is really cool because I know for myself, I I hate to say that I I stumbled across it, you know, your live thing on Tuesday nights, but I I did I stumbled across it, and I knew who you were, and when I started watching it, I was like. Well, well, damn! This is what I'm doing every Tuesday now because <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's really good. It's just really, really good, and I think it's it's great that you're able to stay in front of people because right now, I mean, what else can you do? You know, you yeah. have to find a way to be in front of people because if you don't, well, then they're going to try to find it somewhere else or or they'll go yeah. watch Netflix. <laughs> a lot of Netflix going on. You know what's what's been good? Uh, what I didn't expect was. I get lots of messages and emails from people that sent it that, you know, uh, that the, they enjoyed the show that night and that it was something they needed as yeah. a stress or especially Sunday nights because it's so mellow. It's become a stress. I get messages all the time after Sunday night that this is what they needed. It, the great way to wind down the week before yeah. they start on Monday. 
And, and uh, yeah, we just last year was just an incredible year for amazing, amazing, crazy, let's not do that again things. Yeah. And uh, it was stressful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this year too, so far it's been pretty stressful, but um, yeah. So it's, uh, so I'm happy about that. That was something I didn't predict. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, once again, you know, there's been there's been several people. I mean, Johnny A is every Tuesday morning at nine o'clock, and it's been oh, cool. re- been religiously every Tuesday morning at nine o'clock, and uh, you know, just him in his studio or him in his kitchen or you know wherever he is. But it's nice. helped, it helped keeps him in front of people, and you yeah. know. And he gets quite a few people that go on there and pay attention to it. So, you know, my hat's off to you. I, I love both of the projects, the light within and, you know, shadows on the soul. I'm, I'm a fan of your playing. Most definitely. I love your sound. I love your style. And I'm not saying that to, you know, to blow smoke or anything like that, Larry, I really do. Um, I, you know, I'm from Chicago, so I grew up on blues. You know what I mean? I cut my teeth in all the blues clubs in Chicago but the style of music that you play, I hate to say, is kind of like my guilty pleasure. You know what I mean? Okay. It's the thing that I love that I don't express or share or do really myself. And I wish that I could go in and I could do that. But it, it seems intimidating to me because I'm a guy that likes to feed off of other people when you play. And doing that is really difficult for me. You know, and I wish it wasn't because I absolutely love it. Uh, well, you can always give it a try. I mean, I you know, I wouldn't recommend anyone start doing it off the bat once a week. That's a that's a serious commitment, and just like yeah. you can pull your hair out. But uh, you can try it every now and then and see how it goes. Yeah, well, yeah. that could be scary. <laughs> Larry, I really appreciate your time, buddy, and I appreciate your sure. talent, and your music. I really do. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for asking me to do this. Yeah. And uh, when this airs, uh, when it's all put together and airs, I will send you the uh, artwork for it so that if you want to share it with people and let people know. Absolutely. You know, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. And remind me if uh, if it's going to come out and I don't mention it on a Tuesday night, remind me, put it in, the, type it in. like in the Because I... Yeah, I'm famous for like on Tuesday night, like, oh, I should talk about this show. That's the other thing when I used to do when I would travel, I would <clears throat> I would say, all right, thanks for watching the Tuesday night. And uh, this Friday and Saturday, I'll be in Seattle and Sunday, I'll be in Arizona and blah, blah, blah. And people will show up to the show or people would send friends to the shows. Um, but a lot of times I would have this list of things and I would just forget. Yeah. And it's right in front of me. So I, it's, it, it don't take offense if like the show is coming out on, on Thursday and I go and I don't mention it. It just means that I, <laughs> I, I said, oh, yeah, I got to remember, remember to mention the show. And I'm and there and my head is uh, for me. My head is switching video and cameras. What song, uh, you know, as the as the, the uh, uh, my pedals on what song to play, you know, backing track. Yeah. Um, if you just uh, if you can imagine the worst time I had, well, one of the worst times I had on it on the show was I introduced, I was, spoke a lot. I introduced the name of a song. I hit start on the playback of a different song. 
my pedal board was set up for a totally different song and I played the chords to a totally different song. And <laughs> so confusing that I had to just stop because yeah. my brain was going to pick one song, but I couldn't because I, I mean, the, the pedal board, the pedals and the song didn't line up and nothing that I was playing was lining up. So, so, so I just had to stop, center myself and start over because I'm doing like a billion, it's like old school uh radio djs where they go oh so where are you from and they're they're putting cards in and putting the song on and doing a lot of different things so just remind me it's patting your belly and rubbing your head or patting your head and rubbing your belly. <laughs> I, I will i'll remind you i appreciate it i appreciate your time larry i really do thank sure. you so much sure thank you um and yeah i look forward to to seeing this when it's on and all right very good out. take care of yourself okay. stay safe Okay, you too. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, there you go. That was Larry Mitchell joining us right here on Guitar Talk. And I want to thank Larry so much for participating in Guitar Talk. And you know what? He does a live stream on Tuesday nights on Facebook. It's uh, him, you know, playing electrically. And then he does an acoustic live stream on Facebook on Sundays. So you want to make sure that you're going to those because it's it's really cool. I actually tune in myself uh, every Tuesday and, uh, well, maybe every other Sunday I get an opportunity, but every Tuesday for sure because I really enjoy his playing and uh, I love what he does. So uh, thanks so much to Larry. And you can go to LarryMitchell.com, of course, to find out more about Larry and what he's doing in his music and everything else that's going on. So once again, hats off to him, man. What an awesome player. Now, next week, my guest is going to be Mike Mostert. Now, Mike is the vice president of sales for Sawtooth Guitars, and he is also the guy behind Go-Go Tuners, which I absolutely love. And, you know, I'm a Go-Go Tuner indoor C, of course, and I absolutely love them. Uh, we're going to release a demo of the Go-Go Tuner uh, at the same time that we release the... Um, you know, the interview with Mike. Now, Mike's in a couple of different musical projects. He's down in the Muscle Shoals area. He's working in some Muscle Shoals studios. He's working with some really high-profile people. The music that's coming out of what he's doing is really, really good. And uh, I can't wait to share it with you and, uh, and bring you that interview. So next week, you want to make sure you tune in for Mike right here on Guitar Talk. Until then, I want to make sure that you're going to guitartalkofficial.com, subscribing you know, to our email list so that you get uh, the monthly newsletter that we send out. Uh, and then also, you know what, there's so much going on over there. We're about to uh, release uh, some new uh, gear demos. Um, we've got the uh, light drive uh, overdrive pedal that we're about to release a um, product review and demo on, and then also the uh, Boone uh, music box, which is a chorus trim pedal by Analog Pedals. Uh, that's about to come out, and then we've got a few other overdrives that uh, we're going to be bringing you real soon. I'm kind of saving those for the moment. Uh, but they're going to be really cool. And then uh, you'll start to see some more of the interviews that we've done in the past on video form start to pop up on Guitar Talk TV. Um, you'll see an episode of Hidden Gems with Rob Balducci, who's a New York guitarist on Steve Vai's label. 
Uh, great player, amazing player. You're going to see that pop up real soon. And then we've got another one, another Hidden Gems episode with Alex Clow from Germany, uh, a great guitar player uh, from over there that's actually playing with a lot of, you know, really big popular uh, hip-hop and rap artists over in uh, the Germany area. So it's going to be really cool. A lot of great stuff happening. So you want to make sure that you're uh, staying connected. I really appreciate you tuning in, uh, listening to this. I'll see you next Wednesday with Mike. And until then, you know what? Stay safe. And, hey, don't forget, you know, this Saturday you can tune in uh, to my show on Mountain City Rock Radio. My guest is going to be Carl Verhan of Super Tramp. So that's going to be really cool. And that's at mountaincityrock.com. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Jimmy Warren, and I will see you guys next week. 